honestly, tonight, out of my devotional life, out of what God has been speaking to me about me and about us, but more more out of this year, the, the time when, you know, as, as a pastor, I read a lot of scripture for us, but I read a lot of scripture for me. And I don't really, uh, when I was young, somebody taught me that I shouldn't feed you my food. And, and so my food is my food. Um, but as we were going into tonight, I felt like, okay, that God's inviting me to just uh, show you some of the things that he's been showing me. And, and you all know my mind works different, so we're just going to follow my mind and trust that you can follow me. Before we get into that, though, um, I need to just talk for a minute as Matt to the church that I attend. Okay? I'll talk as a pastor in a second. Matt to the church I attend. Uh, I'm, I'm one of the people who was raised by really lovely people. My mom and dad were, my, my father was great. My mother is great. My father passed, but uh, I have a great mother. My mom was with us. She, she flew in on Christmas Day. She flew out last night. It's probably the best Christmas we've ever had. I'm spoiled. It was great. It is good. Now, at the same time, Satan does his stuff, right? So this is just Matt talking to the church that I attend. With my mom, I didn't know, became all the temptations of the old secure life that I left. And all the wonderings on why I left it. And those wonderings are asked aloud by my mom who carries some weight with her boy who still wants to make her proud. And I sat there for a week. And I don't know if you know this, but if you watch me too close, I don't look real bright and shiny. And uh, my mom pointed that out a couple times. And I used to. And I could have. And this and that. And my mom is lovely. It's nothing that she said. It's how she was you. You know, and it's not even that she's... She's filled with the Holy Spirit. I just hear it how I hear it. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not ripping on my mom here. But it was this thing of I woke up this morning dizzy. Like, what was that? Beautiful visit with my mother. But what was that other thing about this whole, why am I all of a sudden questioning things that I don't question? And why, why am I... Wondering things I don't wonder about. And I say all this because I was like, we're gathering on 10 o'clock on New Year's Eve night. I don't do 10 o'clock. And I come in here today, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm here. And so for you guys, thank you. As Matt, who attends one church, thank you. Because tonight has already been the reminder of why I am where I am. And like, oh, yeah, this is, this is who I am. I woke up dizzy, but I, there's my footing again. And um, I thank God for, for doing that, but I thank you for, for playing a big part of that. Let, let's, let's pray together, and then I'm going to walk us through a couple of things, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you that you're good. Ah. Just thank you. You're good. 
thank you that no matter how mature we like to fake that we are, we can be your kids. We can be little and we can come with whatever emotions come with it and crawl up on your figurative lap. And you are a good father there. And for those of us who don't have a picture of a good father, I pray that you would heal that. And for, for those of us who've gotten a glimpse of that, I pray that you would enlarge our understanding. But thank you that you're good. Thank you for this community, this church that you're, you are building. Thank you for this year, and thanks that you're not finished with us yet. In your name, amen. Well, th this year, I spent a lot of time reading through Genesis and Exodus. I've, I've always loved this section of scripture, but I've just spent a lot more time there again. And uh, particularly um, the very, very ending of Genesis and first half of Exodus, this whole time when the Israelites go in as a family into Egypt. I mean, they're just a family. They're a big family, but they're just a family. They go into Egypt for the protection of the Egyptians, and then the family multiplies and becomes a nation inside of another nation. And that other nation, the Israelites, they become so big that they become intimidating to the Egyptians, right? I'm telling you what you already know, but they become so vast in number that they are intimidating to the Egyptians, they become enslaved, right? So I'm going to point out some things that you already know, but we're going to think about it for a second. So the Israelites were a family, God's chosen people. They become big enough to be an entire nation, and they're enslaved, and they know how to do life in slavery. They know how to do it. Every single day, they have to make bricks, meaningless bricks. They're building things that they don't care about. But every day, they know how to build bricks, and they work every single day for somebody else, doing what somebody else says. And think about that. Every day, for generations, this is what they do. What do they eat? It's not like the Egyptians are going to go like, well, here's the choice food for all these bricks, right? They've got like some farmland somewhere. They, they wrestle together a couple animals. They're just, they like invented the idea of hustling. You know, they, they've just got some stuff. They've just figured it out. They've got urban gardens going on or whatever they need to do, but they've just, they figured it out. But like, this is the plot of land that my family takes care of until Egypt takes it away from me. But we work every day and then at night we go work on that and we're exhausted, but we manage and they still keep their, they're like, culture and their God and their worship and their ache and they're honest about all this, but they're, they're so good at life that they become intimidating to the Egyptians. And they're enslaved. That, I mean, that's fascinating to me. They have no time. They have no energy. They have no capital. They have no power, but they're really, really good 
at life. They, they've got this toolbox full of resources that have made it so that they can make it. They pass on grit and all of this stuff that's needed, right? And then the beginning of Exodus, I mean, please read it because there's a better version in the Bible, but beginning of Exodus, the plagues happen. And God says that these plagues are he is showing that he is the greater God. We all know Pharaoh's not a God. Pharaoh's playing, but people think that Pharaoh's a God. And, and at the time, people think gods are tied to localities, that there is a God of this place and a God of this place and a God of this place. And wherever you are, you serve that God. And God of the Israelites, a people without a place, says, no, I'm the God of everywhere. And I'm going to show the God of Egypt that I'm really the God of Egypt. And then we're going to go around and we're going to show everybody. And you're going to be an example to all people, right? So the plagues hit. And we could spend months and years talking about this and what that would actually be like. Because these are real people seeing this. Like, I, I remember certain nights having young kids, uh, certain nights were scary. Like I remember being in a restaurant when we found out that Saddam Hussein was, was killed and it, they were showing really vivid imagery of it and Carter was with us and I was like, oh, that's, like that, that I feel some way about that. I feel some way about seeing that and, and seeing, uh, or, or Bin Laden, see, seeing, that, that's, seeing Bin Laden and seeing, um, uh, just different nights with my kid, these vivid memories. The, there were children at the time that these plagues happened. There were people who didn't understand. There were elderly people who were walked out of a nation, right? Who walked on dry ground when they crossed the Red Sea. All of this kind of stuff. We could spend forever on this. But what we're getting to is eventually they got to the wilderness, right? And they didn't know how long they're going to be in the wilderness. And some kids couldn't even remember, probably. Like, they're too young to remember the plague. They're too young to remember slavery. And there's some people who've spent their entire life there, and they thought they would die there. And, and actually, like, they grumbled. Scripture says they complain and they grumble. And we have this beautiful way of just judging everyone in the Bible. Like, we, at least I do. I think, like, oh, how dare you grumble? Like the things that you saw, ugh, ye of little faith. But like, yeah, they're wandering in a wilderness. I, I would tweet my grumblings. And they grumbled, and God responds. There's, there's a section in, in Exodus uh, 16. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses and said, I have heard the complaining of the Israelites and say to them, at, twi at twilight you shall eat meat, in the morning you shall have your fill of bread, and then you should know that I'm the Lord your God. In the evening quails came up and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp, and when the layer of dew lifted, there was a surface of the wilderness, was a fine flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground. And when the Israelites saw it, they said to one another, what is it? Manna. For they did not know what it was. 
Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is the Lord, what the Lord has commanded. Gather as much of it as you, as each of you needs. An omen to a person according to the number at the person's all providing for those in their own tents. The Israelites did so, some gathering more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, those who gathered much had nothing left over, and those who gathered little had no shortage. They gathered as much as each of them needed. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any over until morning. We'll, we'll go on in a second. But here's what's so fascinating. These people have worked for everything, every single day of their life, every single day. And they're complaining. Why are they complaining? Because what, what do I do and who am I if I don't make bricks? Who am I? Who am I if I'm not the one who works all day, comes home tired, goes to his piddly little field to pick some piddly little plants, and then go and do the next? Who am I if I'm just looking at a vast wilderness with the promises of God in front of me? Who am I? I don't know what I eat. I don't know what I do. All I have is time. I don't know what to do with this. And they complain, and they actually say, it'd be better for us to be back in Egypt. And we think, how dare you think that? No, I hear us. As a pastor, I get to meet with us. You know what most of our crying sounds like? It'd be better for me to be back there. Why? Because I know how to do it. I know how to be in Egypt. I know who I am there. But here in this new space, I don't know. Our temptation is to reach back even when we get out of our Egypt. Our temptation is just to live off of these old memories of the plagues that God did and the ways that he revealed himself and then just develop a new hustle. And then just do a new thing in the old, in the, do an old thing in the new land, right? You read the Israelite story, that's what they do. They just go back to their family business. And that's our temptation. Why? Because those are the tools that we have. That's what we know how to do. But God's setting us up for something different. He hears their complaining, and he says, okay, at night, you're going to have quail. Now, my family hunted a lot, and they would be gone for like three days, and they'd come back with like one bird. They might not have been very good at it. I don't know. might have been what was in the cooler that affected it all. I'm not sure. But this is, this says that there was just quail everywhere. Just quail everywhere. You got meat to eat. These people were slaves. You think they ate meat very much? In the morning, they'd wake up. The dew would go away, and then there'd be flaky stuff on the ground that apparently we eat. It actually tastes good. They said, what is it? But they, like, they, they were able to live off of it. This isn't like, I, I, I really wonder, like, what was the nutritional content of it? It was, it was rich. Whatever it was sustained a people. It was like the first superfood that they lived off. Every morning they'd wake up. 
I love that. In that text, they, they say everyone, every person in the tent gets an omer of this. I'm like, okay, what's that? So they gather it up, and some people gathered way too much, and some people gathered way too little. But when they measured it, it God somehow made it the same. That's miraculous. And he makes it the same. You have exactly what you need. And he says, don't take more than you need. You read on. People take more than they need. Is this a place where we should leave the story and go judge them again? No, this is me. They take more than they need because they've never had more than they need. They know what it's like to have not enough. And if there's more laying there, you know what? That goes in my tent. If there's a whole bunch of flaky manna around, well, it comes in my tent, and the quail comes in my tent, and that's what I'm going to do. And what does God do? He allows that to turn into, like, worms, which is gross. The extra leftover is worms. Why? So that the next day they can wake up to fresh manna. Is it something in the content of what manna was that in overnight it instantly turned into worms? No, we know that it's not because our God said, hey, I am different than anybody before me. Obviously, there was no one before me, but anybody before me, anybody that has been worshipped before me, I am different. And so I institute a Sabbath. For those of you who only know to work, to work, to work, and have your identity wrapped up in that, I give rest. I am the God of rest. And so that means the day before the Sabbath, take twice as much, and there's not going to be any worms in that. Was there a content change in that? No, manna's manna. It's just God's God. And he does his thing. And the people rest. As a pastor, if I could... Pray for something into us. Honestly, it would be rest. That we believed that God could spin this thing while we stopped making bricks for a day. That we believed that he could sustain us and that we could just live in his delight. That we would enter that rhythm that he has for us. Because that's for us today. That's who he was then. That's who he is now. And whatever the manna is that you're living off, well, he wants to give you enough the day before the Sabbath so you can rest in him. Not medicate on Netflix, but rest in him. Two totally different things. <laughs> Two different things, Jamel. Different. <laughs> Still working on him. But th- th- this is what our, our God does, Right? And then, look, I want to point out one more thing, and then I'm going to kind of shift to us a little bit. Uh, look at Exodus 16, 34 and 35, or 33 through 35. Moses says to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. And as the Lord commanded Moses to Aaron, place placed it before the covenant for safekeeping. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a habitable land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Okay, here's what's fascinating to me. When God wants it to, 
If they take too much in one day, it turns to worms the next morning. But when God wants it to, Aaron fills a jar for generations to see what they ate. And that jar is not filled with worms. That jar is filled with manna. He didn't pickle it. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, this isn't new to you. I'm Norwegian. We pickled everything. We just filled giant bourbon barrels with pickling sauce and fish. And that's like how people survived. And my dad would still eat that at Christmas and lie to himself that it tastes good. That's not what's going on here. It's not a pickling process. They just like, oh, yeah, you know what? Let's, let's put this manna in, and it's going to stay preserved because that's what God said. He said this was to be a testimony to other people. That little jar of manna, that, that's, that's pretty awesome. Like, I just skip right past this, but that, that's pretty awesome that he can do that, that he can sustain, that he can preserve. So... I don't know if this is making any sense, but here's what I'm feeling for us. And here's where it comes from. That I, I'm, I'm spoiled, and right after Thanksgiving, I got to take a couple days and just go, like, in silent retreat. And I'd never done this before. And I got to take a couple days and just go pray and just go seek God and go, like, Lord, what do you have for me, for my family, for my church? W- what are you doing? Let me hear your voice. And honestly, I was kind of scared I wasn't scared that he wouldn't speak. I was more scared that he would, if I'm honest, because I already feel a little weird. And like, well, then if God speaks more and I need to go do what he says, well, then I'm more weird. And he spoke. And I, I realized I was thinking of us. And a lot of us are holding on to really old miracles. And really old works of God. And it's not bad. He tells us to remember, right? Never forget what he's done. This isn't correction. What I'm telling you is he has something new for you as well. Don't hold so tight to that old miracle that you cannot experience what he has for you today. There are tools that he gave you for when you were in slavery, when you were in captivity, when you were in that life where you just had to hustle. There were tools he gave you. Praise God that he gave you those tools. But when you leave that season, leave those tools. They don't serve you any longer. The ability that you know how to work day after day, making bricks seven days a week, that doesn't serve you when the God of rest calls you to go be with him. And calls you to trust him to provide for you. You hear what I'm saying? Some of these things we've got to let go. And I believe we have to let go in 2018. We need to say like, okay, Lord, that's not me anymore. They served me well. You gave them to me. But you've called me into a new place. You've called me into a new time. You've called me into a new way of going. There's some of us who feel extreme lack of provision, extreme lack of of presence, extreme lack of healing. 
And I, I'll, I'll be honest, those three days where I was mostly in silent retreat, I, I was nervous about what God was saying to, to me about my family, about us. What I was hearing for me and for our church was the same thing. It was, it's time to get reacclimated. And, and here's what I mean by that. It's time for us to stop being adjusted to what we were adjusted to and begin to acclimate to this new season that God's unfolding in front of us. It's time to say like, oh, if you want to bring healing, then I'm going to step into that. And if you want to bring meaning, I feel like there's a lot of us who are making bricks that we don't know what the bricks are for. And God wants to add meaning to our life. And if he wants to do that, then, oh, okay, I'm going to acclimate to that. I don't know if you all were paying attention, but before we had that wood floor, we had a pile of wood in that room for three weeks. Because the room had, or the wood had to acclimate to the temperature. If we had laid it right away, it would have like swelled and looked messy and all that kind of stuff. That's our work right now. God has a work for us. He has a gift for us. He has a purpose for us, but we need to reacclimate to this. We need to kind of stop identifying ourselves by who we used to be. That's always our testimony. That is who we were, but that's not who, who we are. That's not how the world sees us. That's not how our family sees us. That's not how Christ sees us. And it's time to step into that place. One of the things that I learned and had to repent of over the last couple months is that chaos is extremely addicting. It just is. Start reading into it, it actually, re- it, it, like the chemical stuff that happens in your body around chaos, it just works like adrenaline and caffeine and all that kind of stuff. And when you don't have it, you go start more chaos because it's addicting, or you go find it. God's inviting us to let go of some of this stuff. That's not the work of the kingdom. And I really, truly believe that in this next season, God wants to reveal himself. I'm not going to put rules on what that looks like, but he, he wants to reveal himself. Our job is to be ready to see. Our job is to be ready to to walk into what it is that he wants to do. Does that make some sense? In a few minutes, we're going to spend some time praying. Uh, In a couple groups, there's going to be time for you to get prayer, time for you to pray with people. But before we do that, I'm wondering... kind of in in line with what Tracy did earlier. I'm wondering if there's anybody who has a sense of what it is that God is, is what it is that you're anticipating for 2019. 